You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Today's episode brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store and find one of our Locked On Rooms Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. On today's episode, I'll talk about how Milwaukee's struggles or successes define Miami's postseason to some degree, and a look at a couple of possible offseason targets, one by trade and another as a free agent. But I wanted to kick it off with some minor housekeeping just because I wanted to clarify exactly what the plan was for this week. Longtime listeners will know that I am pretty averse to talking about my personal life on this show. Not that I'm completely opposed to it, but I just don't always feel necessary to include a lot of details about what's going on in my personal life. I'm certainly open to talking about them, but it's just I always feel like you're you're here for heat content. You don't necessarily want to know exactly what's going on in my own life, but unfortunately, later on this week, my toddler son will be undergoing surgery. Um... It is not for a significant issue, mostly for a corrective eye problem, but it's still surgery and still anesthesia will be involved. And so there's always a risk, especially for a two-year-old toddler. And so I am absolutely scared shitless and I'm very, very worried and preoccupied with everything that's going on. And uh, that's where my headspace is at right now. I tried, look, it's been something that we've known about for a while, my wife and I, and Certainly, we knew this day was coming. You kind of try to postpone and not think about it, and then eventually the day comes, and you kind of have to start getting ready for it and try to be as optimistic as possible, try to have faith, try to do whatever you can on your own, but the reality is that you can't control any of these facets. And so the plan, at least, is I'm recording this on a Sunday, so you have an episode to start off your week, and then I'm hoping that maybe on Monday... Uh, before we have to get ready for the surgery the following day, I can record a couple of episodes. So uh, I'll probably be a little out of touch on Tuesdays and Wednesdays just because, well, I'll be taking care of my son and hopefully everything goes well. And if you are inclined to pray and you have a faith or belief in a higher power, all good vibes are welcome. I am. We're not... Uh, <laughs> We're not excluding any denominations or any belief structures or anything like that. It's, it's a, well, I could use the good vibes. Let's leave it at that. But uh, anyway, let's move on a little bit because if not, you'll get the next 30 minutes of me being uh, overly emotional, which uh, tends to happen when I talk about my son, Jacob. But I wanted to talk a little bit about Milwaukee and their uh, postseason, because right now, even as I'm recording this, looks like they're going to even up the series against the Brooklyn Nets. And of course, in Brooklyn, the Nets looked absolutely dominant. I remember talking about this on Locked on NBA that I did not think the Milwaukee Bucks had a chance of coming back. And sure enough, they did. They were able to tighten the screws defensively in game three, kept Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving from really going off there. Bruce Brown had a pretty strong showing through three quarters and then tapered off towards the end of the game. But in game four, it's just been a little bit more of that. Kyrie, unfortunately, suffering an ankle injury from what I saw. And then Brooklyn's offense just kind of torpedoes from there. And, of course, James Harden still remains out. And there's no timetable, although Steve Nash did say, and Coach Steve Nash, I should say, uh, did offer some clarification that Harden is doing some on-court work and going through some drills. But who knows if he's going to respond or be back at any point in the series. Either way, it's 2-2, right? So I'll go back to what 
Heat fans were thinking when you know Milwaukee was down two games to zero, and what the larger national narrative was about. Well, if this Bucks team swept Miami and now they're on the verge of getting swept by Brooklyn, what does it say about the Heat? It doesn't really say anything, and I think that's my bigger point here. Is that I, I just I kind of find that so disingenuous because matchups are matchups, and you never know how they're going to respond. I will say that Milwaukee probably invested a great deal of emotional energy into trying to beat Miami, and as a the as a consequence, they were not prepared for handling the Brooklyn Nets. And I think a lot of the same things that we saw from the Bucks last year against Miami in the bubble are kind of cropping up now. Mike Budenholzer's lack of adjustments, the fact that maybe the minutes aren't being doled out the right way, that the personnel seems a little overwhelmed, at least through the first two games. And this is a team that's improved from last season's version of the Milwaukee Bucks. And yet, somehow, they were kind of outclassed during the first two games. I still think they'll wind up losing the series, but it looks like they've at least figured out some way of keeping Brooklyn's high-octane offense from going off. Like Through the first two games, Brooklyn looked unbeatable, and I don't think it was a particularly hot take to say it looked like Brooklyn was going to clearly coast through the rest of the Eastern Conference on their way to a title. Uh, my prediction still stands Brooklyn over Phoenix. I don't know if that's as realistic now, considering Milwaukee is tied up to series a little bit. I still, again, believe that they'll be able to find a way to knock off the Bucks, but they're going to need Harden and Irving to come back at some point. I just I don't know what the health prognosis is for Irving. I don't know if he's going to be available at some point later in the series. But anyway, you can go listen to Kane over at Locked on Bucks if you want more updates on what Milwaukee's doing. I don't personally care one way or the other. I tended to think that given what happened to the Bucks and what the Milwaukee Bucks did to Miami during the opening series, my feeling was that I don't care if they get blown out or not. Like when it started to look that they were going to get swept out of the the playoffs, I a lot of Heat fans responded, "Well, that just kind of shows how bad Miami is." And and I kind of just want to stay away from that sort of comparison. The reality is the apples and oranges nature of the NBA makes it impossible to make any kind of fair comparison. You don't know what Miami was going to do against Brooklyn because they didn't get the opportunity to face Brooklyn. Who knows if maybe they figure something out if they had managed to let's say the path to Miami meeting up with Brooklyn would have been a little different if they were the 4-5 seed, right? If they wind up facing an Atlanta team or a Knicks team and wind up beating them in the playoffs, which seemed pretty likely, to be honest with you, if they had managed to you know, knock off whatever opponent they faced in that first round, maybe by the time they reached Brooklyn, something would have been building. Maybe, I don't know, maybe something would have happened differently. It's hard to predict exactly how Miami's not necessarily better defense, but the better defensive personnel would have matched up with what Miami, I'm sorry, with what Brooklyn could do. And so those kind of comparisons are fool's gold. And I mean, look, you can look at this across any kind of real passionate argument about who the, the goat is or, you know, which player from which era would be more dominant or whether 90s basketball is better than, you know, the current stream of basketball. That Again, how do you know? How can we compare these things? You can provide your opinion as much as you want but the reality is we'll never figure it out we can't go back in time we can't change the reality of it I think Miami was burnout I've said this before and I'll say it again I think their matchup against Milwaukee really showed that they just they couldn't they got punched they got punched something that I thought they were going to be able to do to Milwaukee they were done to instead they they took the blow and they could not handle it 
They just couldn't respond. And credit to Milwaukee for having just enough energy, motivation, fuel, and quality talent to be able to pick apart what Miami could do and keep them from building any momentum. And look, Miami, I think, just fell apart because it was just too much. If they had managed to win game one, maybe you could see them putting a little bit more effort in a game three situation. Maybe they don't give up after two quarters in game four. Who knows? Things could have been differently. Again, it's fool's goal to consider the what-if situations. And I think if you talk to most personnel, either players or coaches or front office members, they'll always tell you, you never go through that process. Asking what-ifs just leads you down to a dark rabbit hole. You don't want to go there. It's just impossible to claw your way out. And you'll never get any kind of accurate feeling of comfort one way or the other. You'll never have an exact answer whether or not you could have done something differently. The reality is, as cliche as it sounds, you can only control what you can control, and that is moving forward and trying to get better as a team, as an organization. And I think that's where Miami's mindset is. We've already seen a number of players already returning to the practice floor. I think this front office is going to be doling out or kind of Figuring out several different plans over the offseason. They have different scenarios that includes free agents, trades, and different targets, different types of maneuvers, different things that they could possibly do. Because I really do think they're going to overhaul this roster. I think it's going to be Jimmy and Bam. And I can't say that any other player that was on this team last season will be back. Not with any kind of straight assurance, any kind of real comfort. Even Goran Dragic, even Udonis Haslam. Certainly not Tyler Hero or any other players that might be viewed as quote-unquote assets. I just don't see that Miami can continue to stay stagnant because the view is internally that they have to be able to provide a championship within the next season or two of Jimmy Butler's tenure. And they're not going to be able to do that by standing pat, by just being stagnant and not continuing to to improve. Like, look, the plan was different last offseason because they were – hoping that things would be a little different with some of the superstars that might become available free agents this offseason. That didn't pan out. They were also hoping that there would be more internal development from guys like Casey Okpala, Tyler Hero, Duncan, etc. That's not to say that those players didn't make some improvements, but you kind of run it back. You get Kendrick for another year and see what he's able to contribute. You get KZ, you get, you know, the, the hope was that KZ would step up and eventually become the Trevor Ariza starter plus a three-point shot never really happened that way and so now you just say to yourself there's just no room here there's no time to continue waiting to see if these guys can develop they can develop elsewhere because right now Miami's not going to give them that opportunity and look Miami as accountable as they've always been you know they're going to be able to to you know they're going to be able to get the most out of most players but at some point those players have to be able to show continued improvement and they just haven't done enough I think for Miami to kind of just keep them just for the sake of keeping them. So that's a, a longer, more detailed conversation, one that I've hinted at several times over the last couple of weeks. But I think there are en- enough signs there from that front office that they're willing to move on. And perhaps one of the ways they do that is by going after an established superstar, say Russell Westbrook. I'll talk about why that makes sense in the next segment. But first of all, I wanted to get into why, if you're the hiring expert for your company, you need a hiring partner that makes your life easier, and what you need is Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. You post, screen, and interview all in Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications, and then you can schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. 
Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so only only pay for the applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. So if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com locked. Indeed.com locked. Offer is valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions do apply. And when you're done filling that need in your company, then reward yourself with a Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever, 100% covered in chocolate, nine delicious flavors. You can build a box of all of your favorites from coconut or coconut almond, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, and of course, double chocolate. So there's something for everybody. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. That's a, as good as you can possibly get. I think that's such a great deal, and I totally recommend it. Friends and family all love them. I think they're as popular as you can possibly be. And you don't even know that you're eating a protein bar. That's the best thing about them. So go to BuiltBar.com right now. Use the promo code LOCK15. You get 15% off your first order. So use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Miami Heat are out of the playoffs, but the road to the finals still continues, and our coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So why Russell Westbrook? Well, it's the offseason, at least for a few teams anyway. Only a handful of teams left in the NBA playoffs, so important to kind of just for the other 20 teams just start looking at potential names, potential targets, all these things. Like, there's a, a bunch of teams outside of Miami, of course, that are really heavily invested, and the people who cover those teams really heavily invested in the draft and everything else. And I, can't, I have to say that, from my perspective, uh, interest is probably at an all-time low, and that is saying something. I, I've ne generally never been all that interested in the draft to begin with, as much as I like to cover it for the league and for the Heat in particular when the Heat does have a good draft pick. Uh, just not a priority for me this time around. And, you know, there are a million aggregators out there or just sites that will create some kind of a, a headline, some piece, uh, uh, what do you call it, a listicle, right, with a potential trade scenario. And look, I I've done it. I've been there. Early on in my career, I started off writing those kinds of things, so I know how it goes. But a website by the name of Fadeaway World suggesting that the Miami Heat will look into trading Russell for Russell Westbrook and the Wizards will receive, inexplicably, Goran Dragic, Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero, and Casey Okpala. So the particulars of this potential scenario don't interest me as much. For one, Dragic and Nunn, uh, of course, free agents, so you'd have to get their buy-in that they'll sign with the team and then acknowledge that they'll be getting traded to Washington, which seems highly unlikely. Uh, for Kendrick, it could seem to make a lot of sense if they're moving Bradley Beal, because otherwise that backcourt would be two undersized guards that don't defend at a particularly high level, and one of those guys is going to get a lot more shots, and it ain't Kendrick Nunn. So I'm not sure what Goran Dragic is going to do. Basically, it would be Goran Dragic Again, if he agrees to re-sign in Miami and get traded to Washington, he would be playing the point guard position alongside 
Bradley Beal, which would work, again, somewhat deficient as far as their defense acumen is concerned. But then none would be agreeing to take the contract and re-sign with Miami in a sign-and-trade deal just so he could continue being the backup to Bradley Beal and Goran Dragic? That doesn't make much sense. So, I mean, I guess you could theoretically put Beal and Nunn as the starters and have Dragic come off the bench, but that also does not make sense, especially if you're including Tyrell Hero. Basically, you're just getting rid of a lot of the same guards that have the same problems in Miami and shipping them to Washington for a guard that clearly has a lot of problems. And I, th- I think that's, again... The particulars are ridiculous. No trade like this is ever going to happen. This is not something that Washington would be interested in, and it certainly isn't something that Miami would be interested in. And I just kind of wanted to talk about the Westbrook connection a little bit because, of course, Miami linked there a couple years ago before adding Jimmy. Well, no, I was corrected on this. It wasn't before they added Jimmy Butler. The view was that they would be able to bring him alongside Bam and Jimmy Butler, that he would be like a, a... third star here, I guess, part of a big three. And that was before his season in Houston when he was still putting up decent numbers in Oklahoma City, albeit somewhat inflated and, of course, somewhat skewed by the fact that he was, well, their only star player there uh, after having traded away Serge Ibaka, Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden, et cetera, et cetera. It was not quite the same roster had once been, and Russell had been catered to almost completely in Oklahoma City, and he was very dominant as far as what stats he put up and how he controlled the pace and tempo and the offense and everything in terms of what Oklahoma City was doing. He was everything in that organization, from how they created their practice facility to you know the, the way the media interacted with you know, PR staff and everything like that. It was... Well, I've seen it up hand, up close rather, and uh, I have never seen any player exert that most that much control over an organization as far as the small details are concerned. It's this isn't a knock on Russell. Russell is, by all accounts, a perfectly great teammate. Look, maybe he clashed with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is a very unusual player and person when it comes to the league, and I think that's why he probably gets along better with another quote-unquote unusual player. Of course, this is all subjective. Who knows how it really fits in or how, how players fit in with one another, how they get along. His relationship with Russell was not the best. He gets along better with Kyrie Irving. You can ask the guys in the Boston Celtics what they think about Kyrie Irving and probably not get a lot of positive feedback there. Uh, but anyway, as far as Russell and his overall ability to get along with teammates, that's probably not going to be a problem. I bet you he'd get along famously with Jimmy Butler because Russell does love the work. He does love to grind. He loves to do all the things that are necessary to get better. He is, he's only got one speed and that's great. And it's also terrible. And I think that's a big part of the problem with Westbrook is that he will control the temple. He will have the ball in his hands. That's not going to fly with Jimmy Butler. That's not going to work with this offense. It worked to some degree in Washington because you have an elite shooter and scorer in Bradley Beal, and I think you had other complementary scores in that lineup to complement what Westbrook can do, but you don't have that in Miami unless you somehow manage to re-sign Duncan and get another incredibly good shooter to comp- to, to fit alongside Jimmy and Bam in that front court. I, <laughs> I just don't see it, and I don't know that you'd want to take on a contract as monumental as Russell's for the last couple of seasons of it in order to get an established name. I, I just don't even know what the benefit is. This seems like this has been such a long time 
as far as you know the Russell potential and, and what's going on with Russell and and seeing whether or not he'd have a fit in Miami and things of that sort. It's just that's never really been, I think, a priority for this team. Like he's been a, a name, but he's he's owed forty four million dollars next year and forty seven the year after that. Like there's no possibility of Miami going after Russell Westbrook. And I know this is part of the conversation that we're, a lot of people are having, myself included. It's like, well, what if we had done something differently? Chris Paul in particular, right? I think that's a name that a lot of people see in especially thriving in both Phoenix and Oklahoma City before that. And, of course, his role with the Rockets and the Clippers. And, I mean, Chris Paul is Chris Paul. He is one of the greatest point guards of all time. And I think he is deserving of all those flowers. But I know a lot of people were concerned about his fit in Miami and his contract and things of that sort. And now they're kind of forced to eat crow a little bit. I was for it. I thought that he was turning himself around. I thought we had had a bad year in Houston. But the reality was that there was still a lot of game left to be played. And I proved to be correct on that note because obviously he's been very, very impactful, very influential, and a great addition to both Phoenix and Oklahoma City. He's turned those cultures around almost single-handedly. And again, I believe the Suns will represent the Western Conference in the NBA Finals. Westbrook, not so confident in that ability and what he does. He's not a great fit with his roster. He's going to push the pace. He's going to take bad shots. He's not going to shoot well from the perimeter. He's going to shoot way too much from the perimeter. He's not going to shoot well from the rim or mid-range. He's just not a very effective scorer anymore. He's not a very good defender. And yeah, he's a capable passer because he has a ball in his hands so damn much, and he's going to make sure that he just drives everything that the team does offensively. And you have to kind of go through several growing pains playing alongside him. And and Miami's not in a position where they can just afford to kowtow to a guy like Westbrook. They've got two all-stars on this roster already. They don't need to placate an older guard that can't adapt, that won't thrive, and isn't you know, he's getting paid way too much to play a role that he's no longer suited for. Like, this is a cold reality. I just don't think he's a good fit. Look, as a name, it's fine. I was at that point a couple of years ago before, like, again, when they were adding Jimmy, that I thought the interest, the, the media perspective of having a guy like Russell would be interesting just to see what he's like on a daily basis when he shrugs off stupid questions from reporters like me when he acts like a surly asshole. And look, he's done all those things. In the locker room, with players, he's fantastic. With staff, he's fantastic. Like, is he weird and surly? Absolutely. Does he have a little bit of OCD? Absolutely. The reality is also that, you know, he does not always interact very nicely towards reporters because he's distrusting of everything they do. And after, after a long career of being attacked for this and that, I can understand why he has that perspective. And Oklahoma City allowed him and Kevin Durant to kind of just bend the narrative and to uh, force reporters into a certain pigeonhole as far as how will they interact with with players and things of that sort and um you know it was I was curious to see how that would play out in Miami uh from my on-court perspective I just I can't see how that relationship would work at all like Jimmy's so much more effective Bam so much more effective when they're running the offense or when they're doing something offensively and with Russell there it just could not work somehow somehow Westbrook uh, took a, a smaller contract, I, I would still advise Miami and any fan thinking of that to stay away from him with a 10-foot pole. He's just—he's no longer the player he once was. And even at that point in time, even at his peak, I don't know that he was a great fit for any team. And, and I think that's partly why 
Well, Kevin Durant's now playing for his second team uh, outside of Oklahoma City, and I, I think that's a big part of it, and why he's achieving success in both Golden State and, of course, in Brooklyn. So I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think it says a lot about who Westbrook is as a player, and unfortunately I just don't see him being able to adapt. Now, fans will love him. Why? Because he tries so damn hard. He's giving his all. You never question his effort. You question his decision-making when he pulls up for that 15-foot cotton shot that he likes to call and it clanks off the rim for the seventh time in a row. You go, why are you keep taking that shot? You'll be yelling. You'll be frustrated. And I totally understand that. And yet, you still wind up loving him anyway. You can't fault Russell because he tries so hard, because you know he's giving it his all. You just can't seem to get it done. I don't know. I think it would be a little, a lot more frustrating having to deal with that sort of uh, inconsistency offensively when you're getting paid 44 and $47 million a year. So I don't envy the Wizards. And look, let's be realistic. If there's a goal on that Wizards roster, it sure as hell isn't Russell Westbrook. It's his teammate, Bradley Beal. So I can imagine that he'll probably be Miami's primary target this offseason. But uh, that's a conversation for another time. I'll be sure to be talking about Beal and other key names throughout the rest of the offseason, as well as one that might come up as a potential free agent acquisition, a guy by the name of Kelly Oubre Jr., and I'll talk about that in the next segment. But before that, I wanted to talk a little bit about the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. That's Bet Online. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. But there's, of course, tons of sports action. There's the WNBA, the NBA playoffs, the NHL, and so much more. Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget to use a promo code locked on all the sports news you need another 20 minutes with a locked on today podcast host peter Burkowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts follow the locked on today podcast on the odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts so why Kelly Oubre Jr.? Why not any of the other names linked to Miami? Well, this one's just coming up recently, and I don't really see a lot of stock in it. Vince Goodwill over at Yahoo Sports, a fine reporter, and sometimes, uh, with, let's say, not necessarily a questionable one, but let's say one that's hard to believe regarding league sources telling him that Miami, San Antonio, and the New York Knicks are among the team's Interested in Kelly Oubre in free agency. Not sure where that comes from other than perhaps Oubre's agent where it seems that they're likely trying to drum up some business. But I don't see Oubre necessarily a blip on Miami's radar because I think he'll command too much of a salary, to be honest with you. I don't think the pocket of money that they have allocated in free agency isn't one that they want to necessarily fill with a player like Ubre. And look, there there are pros. Perhaps I should get into that first and foremost. I think he is a young enough wing defender. He's 25 and a half, so there's still plenty of potential. Fits that window really nicely with Bam and other young players on his roster. He's a guy who does have some ability, particularly defensively. 6'7 and 203 pounds. Pretty good wing defender, uh, a guy who is somewhat switchable, uh, maybe could play that souped-up 
floor kind of spot, maybe kind of like a Derek Jones Jr. as far as his ability to guard on the perimeter and maybe switch on to other players, but still somewhat undersized, not bulky enough, although you could theoretically see him putting on more muscle mass in South Florida as part of their training regimen and everything else. But also, you know, he's he's young, and I think there's potential there as a scorer as well, although that's been a pretty inconsistent part of his career so far. His peak was uh, a couple of years ago in 2017-18 when he shot 34% from three-point range with the Washington Wizards. Then he went on to have a pretty decent a season in Phoenix for half a year. Actually, I'm sorry, a full season in Phoenix. He played 56 games with his sons last season, shot 35% on five and a half attempts per game. And then he joined the Golden State Warriors this year when they had a need for him because, of course, Clay Thompson got hurt before the start of the year. Ubre had been traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who then wound up trading him back to the Golden State Warriors. That was a complicated deal. Uh, that was part of the Chris Paul acquisition for Phoenix. That's why they shipped him over to Oklahoma City. But he never wound up playing for the Thunder at any point in time. Of course, he wound up having 50-some-odd games of play for Golden State that were mostly up and down. He had a really tough start to the season. Then he picked it up in February. Then he went again and had a really tough stretch in March. And and so it was just very up and down for him, particularly with his shooting. And I think that was the a big part of the concern there. And, and look, I asked... My former co-host, Wes Goldberg, who now covers the Warriors for the Mercury News, what he thought about Oubre. And he says, look, it makes sense for Miami to add a guy like him. He was the one who brought up the Derrick Jones comparison. I could see the defensive acumen there being something that Miami might find interesting. But, you know, as a scorer, there's a lot of work there. He's not polished. I don't know that he's always... Let's say the term low basketball IQ has certainly been applied more than once to Kelly. And and maybe it's unfair. Maybe that's a little subjective and hard to quantify. I totally argue that. It's not, I'm not saying that Kelly Oubre Jr. isn't intelligent. Um, this isn't. This isn't Michael Beasley, who, again, I would not necessarily label as unintelligent, but just not necessarily focused, laser-like focus on basketball. And I think that's part of the concern. Look, Ubre, a guy well-known for his interests off the floor. I've talked to him several times. He is a little eccentric. Uh, he was very funny and interesting and certainly thinks highly of himself, at least outwardly, and it's kind of hard to get a good sense from him. Even Wes mentioned that in this past year of covering him for you know Golden State and just really only talking to him via Zoom calls, you don't really get a true sense of that personality, even from what he shows on the outside, and you don't know how deep it goes or what the real case might be. And look, not a knock on him. He's made it to the NBA. He's a fine play player and, and certainly capable of – putting in the work and everything else. He just struggled to play alongside Steph Curry. It was difficult for him to get any kind of footing on a team that was really established as far as what they do well. And, and Wes recently wrote about this for the Mercury News, You know, as far as him not necessarily understanding how to play a role in Steve Kerr's offense and not necessarily being the most mobile player, kind of a, a guy who gets in Steph Curry's way. And that's not necessarily the best fit for any player, especially in Golden State. You know, you have to learn how to play alongside Steph if you want to have any chance of thriving. Oubre never could quite figure it out. He also sees himself as a starter. He did get benched uh, late in the season. He, he, he was taken out of the starting lineup. And I think that's part of the problem is also he doesn't necessarily see himself going back to being a bench player. He wants to be a starter. I'm sure that could happen in Miami. Again, he's a little undersized as far as uh, being the, the solution for Miami long-term at the power forward spot. But he would probably be a significant upgrade over Casey Opala or Trevor Reza or anybody else. 
I just also don't see him being a substantial upgrade in any of over any of those players either. So I, I just I like the name. I see the potential there. I do like the off the court personality. I can't say that Miami does though. And I think this is the biggest knock on anything else. Regardless of whether you view his potential the same way I do, that there is hope there that he can kind of figure it out or that he's done just enough as a shooter and a defender that you can kind of throw a a significant amount of money his way. The off the court stuff I think is more of a concern. Not because it's bad, not because any of you know that he's doing anything that he shouldn't be doing with his personal time. Uh, and of course, NBA players more often than not should be allowed to explore anything they want to off the court. I just think that Miami's in a position again where they have to be they they can't afford to make any mistakes this offseason. And as such, they can't afford to take a chance on a guy who might not necessarily be as uber focused on his basketball and his development as a basketball player as Ubre might be. And this is all a rash judgment on my part. I'll totally copy that. I'm being very speculative here. I don't know whether or not he comes in here and says to, to himself and to this organization, I'm going to do the work. Tsunami Poppy and that alter ego are gone. I don't care about my fashion line, which I know he does. Uh, and, you know, I, I've stopped caring about all the off-the-court music interests and fashion and everything else, which I don't buy for an instant. And I'm going to focus just on basketball and put in the work and everything else. And if that's the case, maybe they might see some interest. But, again, I don't buy that. I think there are the off-the-court interests there, and I think they are a part of who he is, and that should be fine. I just don't necessarily think that Miami wants that to be the case. If there are any questions about Tyler Hero's work ethic off-the-court – you know, or interests being split between his girlfriend and other interests, you know, and marketing opportunities and things of that sort, then I can't see how they would be too or look too kindly to Kelly's interests off the court either, you know? So, again, a fine name. I don't buy that Miami's necessarily interested, not disputing necessarily a Goodwill's accounting or reporting, but uh, it just seems like those sources may have provided that information, but they might have done it for their own reasons and not necessarily because Miami actually has any interest in signing Kelly Oubre this year. I just don't see it. Again, on the court, it could work if everything perfectly plays out the way it has not throughout any moment of Oubre's career. Off the court, too many red flags for Miami to say, yes, this is the guy we want to pay 10 to $15 million a year. And I think that's... I think that's the kind of money he's looking at getting as a free agent this year. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but I just I cannot believe that Ubre Jr. is a serious target for the Miami Heat moving forward. But I'll continue to cover the NBA and Miami Heat throughout the rest of the week, obviously. Uh, as I told you at the first segment, I'll have my mind elsewhere for a few days. But hopefully I'll be able to provide as much as I possibly can. Uh, as far as any kind of upcoming episodes and programming, things of that sort. Thank you so much for always tuning in, and I appreciate all of your support always. Just a reminder, you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. Shout out to everybody who's uh, provided some reviews lately to help balance out my my interaction with the Milwaukee Bucks fans because uh, you guys have done a phenomenal job, and I am very, very grateful of that. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting the show, and thanks again to all of you. This is David Ramil signing off for now.